There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Old Compton Street in Soho, W1. Five doors north of the drug field spree of Joe Ganane. Twelve doors east of the contract hit on Alfredo Zomparelli. Three doors up from the radioactive trail at Café Bohème. And a few doors down from Eliza Creases Nightmare Honeymoon. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Identical to every other building on this narrow hive of seedy smut shops and hipster havens is 11 Old Compton Street. A classic Victorian four-story flat-fronted terrace with a shop below and flats above. With old Soho dead and gentrified into a sickening pseudo-shoreditch where history has been usurped by faux shops for the dim-witted who'll Apple pay for anything that's fashionable for a hot minute. 11 Old Compton Street is now home to Chai Time. A bubble tea shop where fans of cold milky tea can be fleeced into slurping what resembles a pint of rainbow-coloured porridge, sperm and frogspawn. Ooh, yummy. Back in the 1860s, on the ground floor of number 11, was a butcher's shop with an abattoir out back. And above, the lodgings of the impoverished, some of whom were sex workers. With the basement split into two by a thin wall, and a slit window at foot level where rats ran among bins of rancid meat, this tiny room was the home and workplace of 21-year-old prostitute Susan Latany. It wasn't much, but being trapped by the incessant cruelty of her pimp and supposed husband-to-be, Henry Broughton, she believed that this was the beginning of a bright future with the man she loved. And yet she would only ever find peace at the tip of his blade. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 190 The Stockholm Syndrome of Susan Latany. Whether guns, poisons or knives, there is no deadlier weapon than words. Words can trip, beat, maim and kill. They can wound the skin, but also the soul. Their cuts can outlast any scar. And by duping the victim to drop their defences, a word can lure us into believing that our worst enemy is our saviour. Susan Latany was born in the summer of 1842. We know that, as her birth was registered at the Strand, one street south of Covent Garden. Like many in the working classes, her life would go unrecorded unless she was arrested or murdered during her tragically brief life. 
with no chance of escaping a situation. Many would be born as they would die, often succumbing to sickness, starvation, or violent assault. With her name misspelt so often on official documents, even the court record, the system cared little of Susan Latany. Because she was poor, because she was a woman, and because she was a prostitute. Raised in a shared lodging at 2 Adam Street West in Marleybone, her father John was a shoemaker, her mother Susanna was a shoebinder, and both of Susan's brothers went into the same trade. And although they were blessed with a semi-skilled profession, the Latinese lives remained a struggle, as too many people chased too few jobs for too little reward. As a young girl, she was educated to the age of 10, beyond which it was no longer compulsory. And as each mouth cost pennies that the family could no longer afford, well before her teens, she was already earning. Described as a slim girl with brown curly hair, pale skin and bright green eyes. As her future was predestined to be hard and bleak, she may have used the goods she was given in the chance of escaping a life without hope. By at least her late teens, Susan had become a prostitute. This may seem like the last resort of a desperate woman, but in an era, it was all too common for a girl to make her way by selling her body. It's easy to surmise that, as Susan was born and raised in the West End, where sex work was on every corner, she was unskilled and poorly educated. And in the 1800s, it was said that as many as one in three working-class women provided for their families through some form of sex work. She could have earned an honest living as a shoemaker, but as the average wage for a man in 1861 was three shillings and sixpence per day, working ten-hour days and six days a week. As a woman would earn a lot less for the same job, prostitutes could make five times the wage of a manual labourer. In many families, although they would often deny any knowledge in court, it was not uncommon for their prettiest girl to be sent out to earn a crust as a hole to fill. It may seem like cruelty, but in an era where a woman had very little power, a young girl could have money and influence as the family's breadwinner. And being best served to meet a moneyed man, only she could escape the drudgery of this horrid little life. Against a backdrop of poverty, one day her prince could come and sweep her off her feet. I mean, it rarely, if ever did, but it could. On an undocumented day, in a way which will never be known. In the spring of 1861, 19-year-old Susan Latany met Henry Broughton. A tall, handsome and well-dressed man of a similar age to herself. Who reports state and an honest living as a glass decorator. A semi-skilled profession. Born and raised nearby. Henry exuded the swagger of a man with big dreams. He spoke well for a local lad. He knew everyone on the street. His suit was always neat with a silk hanky and a gold watch hanging off his waistcoat. And in his pocket was a thick wad of notes secured with a silver money clip. Deeply smitten, she had fallen for his looks and his charm. And as this aspiring man of money was clearly more than just her ticket out of this life, she liked him 
And better still, he liked her too. For Susan, it was the fairy tale romance she had dreamed of. He'd read her poetry, he'd shower her with gifts, and he'd buy her fragrant flowers. Over meals, he'd speak the words she'd long to hear of marriage, happiness, and babies. And feeling truly spoilt, she got a sense of how the rest of their lives together would be. Truly blessed. But that was the future, which he knew was still far away. In truth, Henry was no richer than she was. And although he dressed well, ate well, and spoke well, it was all to give an impression of success. But as he told her, if they worked hard, and only if she believed in them, they could be happy forever. It would be a long, hard struggle. And believing in him, she would do anything to make it happen. For a few weeks or months more, Susan would earn as much as she could, as best as she could, doing the one job that she was skilled at, prostitution. And to ensure their success, Henry would be a pimp. For Susan, it would be a simple sacrifice to keep selling her body for the man that she loved in the hope that their hard work led to a life of love together in a comfortable home surrounded by children. Life had already taught her that nothing good was ever easily earned, so she settled in for the long, hard slog. A short while later, Henry and Susan moved into a small basement lodging under a butcher's shop at 11 Old Compton Street right in the heart of Soho's red light district. It wasn't much, just a tiny room with a chair, a wardrobe, a washstand and a bed. But in Susan's eyes, it was the start of their life together. That's how she saw it, because that's how he sold it. But in truth, she would be trapped by his lies and his cruelty. Henry was described in court as a coward and an utter scoundrel who lived off her immoral earnings. His con was simple. To pretend to love her, to show her some affection, and to plant a seed in her mind of a life to be. Given enough time, she'd be too love-struck to believe she'd been duped, too exhausted to retort, and as a violent cherry on a terrifying cake, too frightened to ever think about leaving him. Living in what was little more than a lumpy bed in a foul-smelling brothel, being perched in the coffee shop opposite the lodging. Here Henry drank, chatted and smoked, keeping tabs on the slew of punters who shunted her for shillings, in a ploy he'd done to many women, who all earned money for him. This rancid little hellhole was meant to be a little home for the both of them, but the only time he visited was to collect his cash to criticise her for not making enough money and to dole out a small stipend for food and the rent on this tawdry sex den which whiffed of rotting meat and stale semen. To escape her horror, you may think, why didn't she leave? But initially, his words were his weapon. With love, he built her up and with cruelty, he broke her down until there was nothing left of her but what he needed for himself. 
It began by making her feel as if she was loved. A few key phrases peppered when it suited him best. No one loves you like I do. It's just you and me. We're meant to be. The casual contrivances only an abuser would say. And having sold her a hopeless dream of love, slowly he would withdraw his affections. Until like a ravenous dog with a growling belly, she would pine, she would cry, and she would be grateful for whatever rancid scraps he tossed at her feet. Worried it may be the last. Having trapped her with his lies, he then had to ensure that every escape route was blocked. In times of panic, people always run to the safety of familiarity. Their friends, their family, or the police. But by spreading lies and making her believe them, soon the only person she would trust would be him. Feeling isolated, exhausted, and seeing only him as a savior, he would strip her of the last shred of dignity and worth she still had in her frightened little mind. Compounded by assaults, a slap, a punch, a kick, or a choke, always striking her body and never to the head, as he knew the time was money, and no one is going to pay to fuck a battered bitch. He'd make her too scared to run, to cry, to give up, or to lie. The only way for her to escape was to work harder. The day was Tuesday the 20th of June, 1863. By noon, the cobblestone streets were too hot to touch, as the sun baked down through the thick dark gloom of the belching chimney stacks. By that point, 21-year-old Susan had been shagged and buggered by a slew of sleazy strangers for a quarter of her short, unhappy life. The young girl was gone, and all that remained was a shadow of a lifeless woman, lost behind tired eyes, walking cautiously as the rapid shagging of bad men with boners had made her incontinent, and her face was made up by cosmetics, so she didn't resemble an unsightly sack of bones and skin. This was her life. It was what she did and there would be no rest in sight, except when she was dead. An account of what happened would be recalled in court by those who had witnessed it. At 12pm, Susan left 11 Old Compton Street. Spied by Henry, as he sat in a coffee tavern opposite. His new three-piece suit was all resplendent. He quaffed and chatted with his pals. A fresh pipe of tobacco spewed from his lips as he watched her walk a regular patch. A long day of pain ahead of her. By 3pm, Susan had earned a sovereign, 20 shillings to be precise making in three hours what a labourer made in the day. But it's impossible to say how many punters had manhandled her glands and poked her with their sticky little probes. Every prostitute has a price for full sex. But for extras, it goes up depending on how degrading the act is and what pain and humiliation she has to endure. As agreed, Susan met Henry on Regent Street. With a faint smile on her haggard face, she had hoped that the sight of a shiny sovereign in her hand would make him happy, and that maybe 
he might bless her with a faint hint of a memory of affection, rather than a slap or a kick. But it was not to be. A sovereign? It's not enough. Get more! He barked. As her smile dropped, her distant dream departed, and her notion of working for us was replaced by me, as she was a nothing who worked for him. Whether she knew it or not, Henry hadn't saved a single penny of her ill-gotten gains for the plans he had once promised her. And as he had with his other girls, he had squandered the lot. To him, that sovereign was an insult. But he took it. And just as quickly as she would earn another, he had spent it. Unsure if Susan was fleecing him of his money, he followed her south down Regent Street, towards the bustling throng of Piccadilly Circus and Leicester Square, where even on a weekday afternoon, sadists with raging bonus prowl the seedy side streets looking for young girls to bang, finger and bugger. A little after 4pm, on Oxenden Street, a few roads west of Leicester Square, Susan met a regular client who had offered her three sovereigns to have his wicked way with her for at least the next hour. Maybe she felt that three sovereigns would be enough to satisfy Henry. But who knows what horrors she'd have to endure to earn it. Maybe sodomy, or maybe something more sinister. Susan Latany was trapped like a hostage. She couldn't run, she couldn't lie, and she couldn't hide. As Susan was taken into a squalid room on Oxenden Street, to be violated by a man who had mauled her for money, Henry secreted himself in a pub, possibly the Union Arms at 36 Panton Street, or the Black Horse at 30 Oxenden Street. And within sight of Susan's unspeakably sadistic submission, he perched his backside in a window seat and settled down for a spot of dinner and some bare-knuckle boxing. As prize fighters battled it out, he gorged on what was described as a capital meal, including three kinds of fish, joints and steaks, as well as bread and cheese. Washed down with a few jars of porter and a satisfying puff on his freshly stoked pipe. While Susan possibly sucked on a stranger's stinky little love raisin, Henry got progressively pissed and blew a sizable chunk of that sovereign on a few bad bets. By the time 5pm had gone, as Susan staggered out of the seedy cesspit with a pain in her privates, she proudly clutched the three solid sovereigns in her hand, which she hoped would make him smile. She hoped, but she was wrong. Three sovereigns, Henry barked. It's not enough. Get more. That day, she'd earned him four sovereigns or 80 shillings, more than 30 times his daily wage as a supposed glass decorator, which he no longer was. Only now, he wanted 20 pounds, five times more at 400 shillings. It was more than she had ever earned in a day, but that was part of his con. If he ever gave her hope that a sovereign was enough, then that was all she would earn. Daring to speak up, Susan muttered, I can't do it. It's too much. For her insolence, he demanded her watch and chain. He checked her pockets for coins, but as she squealed, I haven't got any more. For her insolence, 
He slapped her, he kicked her, and he tore at her hair in this packed street as onlookers cheered and jostled for a better view of her assault. And as she whimpered, I'm sorry, I'll try. Trying was not good enough. If he wanted 20 pounds, then 20 pounds is what she would make. And to ensure that she learned her lesson, in the middle of Oxenden Street, between three packed pubs and several coffee taverns, Henry grabbed the neck of her one good dress and ripped it from her trembling body until she was naked. Standing amidst a baying crowd, all bruised and humiliated, Susan Latany felt more worthless than she had ever felt before. She was not a woman, but a piece of meat to be manhandled and gawked at for a price. And having been broken down to such a pitiful point that she believed it was all her fault, as her petrified lips fumbled to form an apology, I'm sorry. I really am. Henry pulled out his blade to ensure she would never defy him again. Some people laughed and others jeered. But many did not. Many were moral and decent. Some were rightfully appalled, including several sex workers who had witnessed similar brutality at close hand themselves, were not going to stand by and let this good woman be hurt anymore. Before his blade could nick her shivering skin, Henry's eyes widened as a thick sea of furious women surged towards him. Before he could retort, the swelling mob had ushered the girl to safety, and having surrounded this petrified pimp, they unleashed a volley of flying fists and clawing nails upon him. Breaking free, as the coward fled towards Coventry Street, he swiftly hailed a horse-drawn cab to make his escape. Henry was lucky At worst, all he'd had was his face scratched and his pride dented. But with his hot blood now coursing, he needed someone to blame. And that someone was Susan. Having dashed three streets north, to her lodgings at 11 Old Compton Street. Susan grabbed some clothes, a bag, a few belongings, and she left, with Henry missing her by mere minutes. This was her one chance to escape him forever. But being so broken down, she wouldn't go to the police or confide in a friend. And he knew that. but there was still one place where he knew that she would be. Her mother's. Hiding in Marlebo, at Seven Chapel Place. It wasn't five minutes before Henry began bashing down the door, demanding that this bitch come come out out and get what she will be given. given. Barging his way in, Henry punched and kicked her until she fell. And as she lay upon the floor all helpless, he beat her some more. Whether on her head or hands, back, breasts or face, as now she was worth nothing. Pulling out his blade, with a savage slash, he had tried to slit her lying little throat, but missed Many times he had warned her that if she ever left him, he would kill her. 
and now he would. With her body bruised, her spirit broken, and her resistance truly spent, as he dragged her by her hair, out of the door to continue this brutal beating in private, Susan went limp. Not dead, but resigned to the fact that her blessed release from this misery had finally come, at the tip of Henry's blade. The dream was over, and so was her life, but not yet. Hearing the commotion, two lodgers ran from upstairs. Susan's mother screamed, alerting the police. And although Henry fled, later that day he was arrested and charged with Susan's assault. Left feeling empty and worthless, Susan didn't want to press charges. But thankfully, her mother did. On Wednesday the 1st of July, 1863, Henry Broughton was tried at the Marlborough Street Police Court. With Susan bravely standing against him, the judge described Henry as a coward, and he began to cry. Henry was fined £10, sentenced to 12 months bail and six months hard labour. It may not seem like much of a punishment, But this is not to say that Henry's own time in captivity was a doddle, as it was not. Sent to Millbank Prison, Henry was stripped of his clothes, his money, and his jewellery to pay his fines. His once pricey meals were replaced by a gruel with barely enough nutrients to sustain him. He was worked until he bled, and he was imprisoned with men who disliked the cowards who beat up women. In a method similar to how he had broken Susan, the aim of hard labor was to crush his spirit. Through a brutal regime of pain, hunger, humiliation, and a slew of demeaning tasks made to make him feel worthless. He was isolated from his loved ones. He was punished for speaking his mind, and he was beaten for minor misdemeanors. He wasn't a man, he was a number. He wasn't a person, he was a nothing. And the only way to make his pain stop was to make his masters happy by working hard until he dropped. Henry Broughton served his six months and he was released. It was unrecorded whether he went straight or whether he went back to Pimpick to recoup the lost earnings with another girl. As for Susan, it's uncertain whether she ever found happiness in her life. But I doubt it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Kolami. Whoa. Oh. We've had a lot of boats going past with uh, really noisy engines. A lot of people who don't fix don't service their engines properly and it's really noisy out oh and the boat's been banging against the side really annoying and then the, you gotta take your little hat off and then uh swans outside were having a bit of a fight swans are nasty little shits aren't they nasty little shits like they're the biggest the biggest bird on the on the waterways and you think you think they could just walk around or swim around and just kind of go yeah get out of my way mate you know you think they could just do it with their presence but they're not they're just rude nasty little shits aren't they anyway welcome to extra mile i'm gonna open a window welcome to extra mile unscripted unedited blah 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 look at those little swans little bastards it's weird it seems to be i think one of their juvenile swans is um it's getting to the point where it's time for the juvenile swan to 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 bugger off and i think what mum and dad swan are doing is uh getting rid of it they seem to be wanting to get it tell it to to fro asap so uh yeah little bastards bloody swans nasty little things they may look nice but they're aggressive like eva beautiful beautiful on the outside aggressive underneath although I doubt that swans uh, drink as much vodka as she does. Christ, she can knock it back. Although, she deserves it because she's lovely. Oh, oh Eva. Oh, I need to have a little sit down. Um, and it, oh, Christ, so I've come back. I'm back. I'm going to put your little hat away. Your little hat that stops there. Hopefully the sound sounds better now. It's been a it's been a long struggle from the early days when I had a little crappy microphone and lots of horrible sounds and even with the blackout ripper when you listen to some of the episodes one of the episodes is a a scrapyard around and that really messed up the sound uh, uh, so it's really annoying but uh, over time I've been changing the software and changing the microphone and changing all the cushioning stuff and it seems to be doing better so there we go Whew, what else is going on uh, woke up the other day fell out of bed lovely um so someone i'm not going to say who but I, I think it's the uh there's a waterworks not too far away i think they they drain the canal like the bastards that they are uh, i think they needed water to flush out a system or something so they blocked off one of the rivers took the water and that fed into the canal and then i came outside and i was like what the fuck and the boats were uh, like 30 degrees 30 40 degrees like almost almost hanging over so like read really, the canal was drained so in my pajamas i went and refilled the canal for everyone it took three hours oh really annoying uh one lady behind me she just literally uh her she's house sitting a boat for her mate and it was her first day at work this morning. I was like, honestly, just go, go, go to work, go to work now. And she's like, no, I'm going to help you uh, refill the canal and get, we, we did it. We relaunched our boats and a neighbor's boat, went over to the other neighbor's boat and said, don't worry, we're refilling the canal. Didn't give a shit. 
didn't give a shit. I thought, you rude little bastard. But anyway, as I say, good things happen to good people, which was weird because the other day I was going for a little walk and I saw a nice road going up a hill and I've seen joggers go up there and I thought, oh, let's walk up that hill because, you know, I looked on Google Maps and Google Maps said that there's a pavement there. So I walked up the hill, walked halfway up the hill pavement disappeared and i thought you know that sometimes happens it disappears and then it reappears i kept walking up the hill and it was getting darker and the road was getting narrower and it was getting busier and there was no pavement and i got halfway up to a busy intersection and there was like hundreds of cars coming by and it was a tiny dark road and i pulled my torch out and thought shit i'm not going to make it out of here because this is really fucking dangerous a lady stopped her car on the road and said get in i'm going to take you to the nearest town Oh, thank God. And actually, she'd made the same mistake years ago. Only she'd done it, and she got a two-year-old with her. Two-year-old, I know. So, two-year-old. So, I didn't have a two-year-old with me, because that's illegal, I think. Um, unless it was a two-year-old scotch. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, never tr trust Google Maps. Google Maps said it was all fine. Not fine at all. It was freaking dangerous. So, uh, what else is going on? What else is going on? Um, Daily Inch. Hope you enjoyed those. Daily Inch. So, uh, as people seem to enjoy them, the, uh, I'm going to be doing them as a Patreon exclusive um, in a series of eight-week runs. So, eight-week episodes. Uh, but to ensure that everyone... Because uh, there's four different tiers on Patreon. And to ensure that everyone gets a little bit, something extra... Um, if you're on the first tier, you'll get uh, you'll get one of the eight episodes. So that's one every two months. If you're on the next tier, you get the monthly. So that's two episodes out of eight. If you're in the next tier up, you will get them fortnightly, which means you get four out of eight. And if you're top tier, you'll get all eight episodes. So the plan is to do a run of eight. Give myself a bit of a break because I, I just want to make sure that I don't knacker myself out because these are really hard to make as well. Uh, so we do that, have a little break, and then come back with another eight. So... So I'm not too sure how regularly I'll do them, but they will be a regular thing. Uh, they're, they're fun to do. And I like doing something that's just mostly comedy as well, uh, if you call it comedy. Uh, what else is going on next week? Uh, going back into the archives. Uh, some extra files that I need to pull out because uh, for the upcoming episodes, which are really exciting. And I found a file that was misfiled that I've been searching for for years, and I finally found it. I'm really excited about that. So... Um, that will be a multi-parter that will be coming in 2023, which will be good. So uh, I've done one bit of it already, which you've all heard, but I can't say what it is. There's Coop being a pain in the ass, uh, And that will be coming soon. So, yeah, hope you enjoy that. Um, big thank you to new Patreon supporters. My brain's gone. Big thank you to new Patreon supporters. Who are Jason Hadley, Shari Ziegler, Joe Clark some coots outside misha law eliza g kerry Anne marie beverly d randall frank johnson and rj thank you everyone for becoming patron supporters that's very much appreciated hope you're enjoying all the goodies and of course you've uh, you've signed up so um that's exciting you will get all the new stuff that's coming through as well and thank you to everyone of course who pays uh yearly and renews uh unfortunately a patron doesn't tell us that you renew it's just they just seem to accept it and they don't tell us about it but so we don't know that when you renew but thank you for that thank you. it's very kind of you um if if people want to become patron subscriber and save money i think if you do it yearly i think you save 10 percent or 15 percent or something anyway right so let's do some quiz questions and we'll do the answers very shortly and we'll do some extra stuff in a bit. Right. Question number one. Get yourselves ready. Right. Question number one. What three things did I say bubble tea looks like? Question number two. In which part of London was Susan's birth registered? Question number three. What street was she raised on in Marylebone? Question number four. What trade were her family in? So what did her family do as a job? 
not very good at writing these questions. It's because I do it last thing before I record this, so I just kind of rush into when I, when I'm re going through and checking the uh, the the script and checking for mistakes. I I write the questions at the same time, uh, hence they're badly written. Uh, but you know, it's it's just just a bit of fun. Um, question five: What business was on the ground floor of Eleven Old Compton Street when Susan lived there? Question number six: How many sovereigns did Susan make on that last day? Question seven, what job except pimping did Henry say that he did? Pick up my coffee because there'll be a boat going past and my boat is already rocking already. When they come through the lock, it kind of sends a little bit of a shockwave down the canal and your boat starts rocking. So you know when boats are approaching and you know when they're coming through the lock. Uh, question Question eight, what drink was Henry drinking in the pub? Question nine, on what street did her mother later live? And question ten, what pub did Henry enjoy a lovely meal and a boxing match in? There was two pubs, so you you can name either, or if you're clever, you can name both. Okay, let's dive into some extra stuff. I'm going to have a little slurp of coffee. It's too late in the afternoon for coffee, but I've had like five teas. Also, I've injured the back of my gums uh so and coffee seems to be soothing it down which is nice right um so yeah i tried to be a bit deceptive with this one because i wanted you to think that this was going to be a murder case so i've kind of fed it in that you thought that she was going to get murdered but she wasn't she wasn't um initially i wasn't going to do this episode because it was this was going to be one of these ones for murder mile the book but murder mile the book isn't happening uh so I thought about doing it for this episode, for for the, the podcast series. And I thought, oh, well, no one really dies in it. But I really like the idea of uh, examining the kind of the relationship between... Uh, I, obviously, in The Bearded Man, we had a prostitute pimp relationship where it was husband and wife. And it was worked as almost like a kind of... Uh, like their marriage, like a business. But this is the other side of it. This is the manipulative kind of pretending to be your boyfriend, making her fall for you and that kind of thing. And I really like that dynamic. So even though there's no murder in this, I wanted to really play up the fact of how... I mean, he was a nasty piece of shit and he, he really beat her nasty. And uh, yeah... So um, I I just felt it was an an interesting episode and it was something different to what we'd normally get. So as mentioned, uh, tried at the Mulberry Street Police Court on the 1st of July, 1863. Um, The judge, Mr. Twyrit, that seems to be his name, Tyrit, I think it is, uh, said, what have you got to say to yourself? Uh, The prisoner... Uh, the prisoner has set up a cowardly defence at the same time crying. Um, the judge said a more base and cowardly life for a man could not be more than you. Uh, and then you use brute force upon a female upon which you have been living and who evidently have been living with from fear and some sort of infatuation which I cannot understand. You are a cowardly ruffian and when you found that the law is going to be put in full force against you for your brutal conduct, you began crying. Uh, you will go for six months with hard labour and at the end of that time... Um, uh, you will be bailed for £10 and asked to keep the peace for 12 months. We, I can't find a criminal record for him after that. Um, so he may have done, but the problem is Henry Broughton uh, was quite a popular name. And also Henry, uh, also people like like with Prince Harry, his name is Henry, but everyone calls him Harry. And a lot of people called Henry, called Henry Harry. Uh, so that's really and there's different spellings of Broughton as well so same as Susan Latany we don't know whether Susan is her first name properly it could have been Susanna her mother's name is misspelt her surname has five different spellings uh, so we don't know and obviously of course if she got married um, she would have changed her name but she may not have used her proper name so we don't know Uh, which is why it's hard to find out much about him or her um Let's dive down. I want. I was gonna do. I was gonna do a whole, uh, like a big piece, like a five-minute piece about his life in prison. But I felt at the end that it could be wrapped up as simply as I did it. But we can use extra mile to kind of dive into it. So, 
He was taken to Millbank Prison, which is uh, where all the politicians are now. Oh, isn't that convenient? Uh, half of them belong in prison, don't you think? Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, when he went to Millbank Prison, it's a horrible, harsh prison. Uh, no longer there. Um, all of his fine clothes were taken from him. His jewellery was sold to pay his fees. He was used to kind of having fine foods, but he would live on what was essentially a gruel with barely enough nutrients to sustain him. Um, and of course, same as today, if you're sent into prison, everyone seems to think that if you're a rapist or a, a child abuser or people like that, you go into prison and you have a lovely time, but you don't. You have to be sectioned off because prisoners, many of whom have uh, wives and children of their own, do not like people like that being around them and they tend to inflict their own justice uh, which is why sex pests get put in special places with all the other perverts um but as mentioned the aim of the victorian hard labor in the prison regime was to crush the spirit of the inmates and force them to mend their ways now whether it did or not we don't know but uh, hard labor in britain was formally abolished in 1948 you're welcome. Uh, under prison regulations, if a, uh, a prisoner was over the age of 16 and sentenced to hard labour, uh, there'd be basically two classes of labour. You had your first class and second class. And the first class would happen in the first... So say with him, it was six months. It would be the first three months. And if they had good behaviour, they would go to second class, which is kind of a lower grade. Um, so let's dive into what they would have been. Uh, I've got some more details here. So um, in the Victorian prison, we always see kind of uh, images of all the prisoners walking around, but it's not. It's all about isolation. Uh, they're, they're put in really, really drab rooms. They're isolated. They're not allowed to talk to other people. You'd be in your room. It's what they called a separate system. Uh, there was a library and an exercise yard, but that's pretty much it. They weren't allowed to communicate. They weren't allowed to talk to other people. They weren't allowed to have visitors. It was uh, boat going past, pick up my coffee, otherwise it will spill. That person's going far too fast. There you go. That's the boat banging against the side. Yep, doesn't care. On his phone, doesn't give a shit. Having a look around on his phone, looking at my boat, doesn't give a crap. Oh, doesn't care that he's going to gung-ho speed there we go there's the back of the boat bouncing around now Ugh. Uh, the problem is there's no driving test to, if you want to have a boat there's no driving test you can literally get a boat and any prick can get on the waterway and start chugging around and people don't read the regulations they don't know that when you go past a boat you've got to go on tick over which is the slowest speed a boat can do it's barely walking speed that prick was doing double that oh people piss me off abide by the rules uh yep uh cell inmates were forced to wear a cap to cover their faces and were not allowed to talk uh as mentioned this was called a separate system but it was also called the silent system um their diet so pre-1872 uh that was when the, the prison's medical officer recommended that class one prisoners uh who were working on a treadmill uh be allowed a pint of gruel for breakfast and supper daily in addition um to an ordinary diet of that class so it was only in 1872 that they were given a kind of a meal that kind of supported what they were meant to do but not not as much there were five types of uh, hard labor punishments uh, there was stone breaking which is what we all expect where you're in a kind of a, a big yard you've got a uh, a massive mallet or not really an axe yet be a mallet or something and for no purpose at all you're basically got to get big rocks and reduce them down to rubble they weren't used for anything this is the whole point is that the prisoners had to know that like everyone always says well why didn't you use it for kind of roadways or stuff like that but the idea was what they wanted the prisoners to know is that everything they were doing was purposeless it was entirely worthless so after they'd finished a whole day they wouldn't feel great about having achieved something they would feel well that was pointless but they knew that the next day would be the same and again and again and again obviously noisy boat coming past really noisy and all the the swans are shoving out of the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that some of the, some of the rubber was actually used for roads. They just wouldn't tell the prisoners that because it, it it wouldn't make sense to not to not use it elsewhere. Um, that that boat was gunning it. Does he care? No, he's not. 
No, didn't give a shit. There we go. Uh, there's another system called the Crank. Um, the Crank was uh, a, a device used in the 19th century, and it's basically a hand-cranked a box with a hand crank in it um, that forced four large cups or ladles through sand inside a drum. Um, it did nothing. It literally did nothing. The prisoner would typically be forced to crank it, so do a rev- uh, 6,000 to 14,500 revolutions over a period of six hours every single day. Uh, they had to do at least one to three, um, a revolution every one to three seconds. Uh, so you, that's one hand, and they were stuck in a room by themselves, and they did that for six hours. Uh, the prison warden would make them do the task, and they would make it harder by tightening the bolt. Um, horrible thing to do. There was uh, the cap, the captain, which was a mechanical handle. Uh, I think that originally this was called the screw, um, and it was kind of the same the same system as the uh, the crank. They were kind of very similar in the way, but that's where we get the word screw from, meaning uh, prison officers. Uh, but this was this was more kind of like a, a water pump. It was water based. It was not particularly nice. Uh, another one of the the things that they would do as punishment uh, was the shot drill. Again, this was pointless. Uh, a prisoner would be in the yard by themselves. They would be forced to pick up a cannonball, lift it onto their chest, and carry it to the far end of the yard, put it down, and do it all again. And that they would do that all day. And that's the whole point: is to make them feel worthless about what they were doing. Um, and obviously one of the big ones that everyone kind of knows is the tread the tread wheel, uh, which was really feared and hated. Uh, this was invented in 1818, and basically it was um, a large wheel of which the prisoners stood on and they climbed up it. It's like really high steps. And uh, per prisoner, uh, they would do 12,000 feet of an ascent per day. So that's, they would climb a third of the equivalent of what an aircraft flies at its highest level. So they would do that each day. Uh, there'd be someone there watching them. Uh, it was, You would think they would have connected it up to a power system so they could have got energy through it, but they didn't. Again, as I said, that was the whole point. It was to make them, uh, make them just do something worthless. The average number of steps a prisoner would do would be uh, 57,000 steps a day. Um, and it would knacker them out, and they wouldn't have enough energy in the system to do it. So the idea was, at the end of the day, they would just sleep. They would do nothing. They would. It would just be a monotonous kind of drone every single day, like listening to Murder Mile. Um, who's a noisy bastard? Got noisy bastards outside. Uh, the tread wheel would be extremely dangerous. Uh, unfortunately, quite a few people would kind of collapse from exhaustion while on it. Um, if someone did slip, you would shout "Man down!" As kids, you can tell it's uh, half term because all the little arseholes are out. Ugh, annoying little pricks! Thank God school's back next week. Oh, although by the time you hear this, they would have already gone back. Yay! The incidence of boats being broken into uh, and windows being smashed uh, goes up threefold during half term. Little bastards. Uh, so, yeah, no, uh, the, 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 quite often uh, people on the treadmill uh, would fall off um, and could get crushed underneath the wheel or end up with their legs broken. What a lovely treat. Um, what else was there oh um everyone really kind of hated the punishment so the quite a few prisoners uh, would deliberately try and make themselves ill to make sure that they didn't have to do uh their, these tasks these these punishments uh, quite often what they would do is swallow soap uh that would bring on a fever it would make them sick uh, and that would be one of the things that they would st- start doing they'd also kind of they'd every prisoner was given like a little bag of salt that was kind of their ration and what they would do is they'd save up their ration of salt and then they'd they'd down a shitload to bring on a fever and to make themselves sick therefore they didn't have to do these duties but that was kind of the plan was uh to make it humiliating for them make them make them really struggle and hate it and just have a horrible time uh so that was henry broughton's lovely time inside prison uh as we know uh he did his six months this was in an era where you know 
they gave you six months and you did your six months. It wasn't like you did your six months and then uh, and then they went, oh, you've been a good boy. Oh, we'll let you off with half of your sentence because we haven't got space to kind of house you anymore. Uh, oh, would you like some satellite TV? Would you like to sit in the games room and play PlayStation all day? Mm, they made people work. I think that's a better better way of people serving their prison time. Uh, anyway, you may differ. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. He was released. We got, as mentioned, we got no record of what he did after that. There's so many Henry Broughtons out there, all born in the same year. We don't really know much about him, so we can't really pin down exactly uh, what he was up to. Uh, did he learn his lesson? Don't know. He seemed like a nasty, uh, violent piece of shit. Even though he was crying in the courtroom when he was being tried, a lot of people said that they thought he was uh, he was putting on. Uh, it just it, it seemed like crocodile tears, but you never know. It would be nice to believe that he was remorseful for what he did and that he was crying because uh, he re- regretted it, but I doubt it. Uh, so, let's do answers to the questions. That was cheerful, wasn't it? Let's do answers to the questions. So, question number one. What three things did I say that bubble tea looks like? It looks like rainbow-coloured porridge, sperm and frog spawn. It is. It's horrible. I've oh, looked at it. It's like it's like a, a cold, icy, milky tea, uh, and in there they put these tapioca balls that look like frog spawn, and they colour it so it doesn't look like horrible, rancid dirge. Oh, it's disgusting. Ugh. But anyway, it's popular, so people eat, drink it, and they walk around and they're going, "Oh, look at me! I'm drinking bubble tea." Twat. <laughs> oh, it's just disgusting. Anyway, if people enjoy it, that's fine. You go and waste your money on it. Uh, question number two. In which part of London was Susan's birth registered? It was the Strand. Uh, question number three. Uh, what street was she raised on in Marleybone? It was Adam Street West, which took me ages to find because Adam Street West was erased a long time ago. Uh, and then I finally found it. Uh, and it turns out that exactly where their house was so to adam street west uh, is now where bryanston court is and bryanston court is from episode 43 with uh marion lee smith uh, the rich mum and the deaf ch- her deaf child there you go what goes around comes around question four what trade were her family in uh, they were all shoemakers and if you want to remember what how hard it is to be a shoemaker you can go back to the henry hall episode of which he was a shoemaker and he is his decline was all about uh, the un- different unions and guilds involved. It's very confusing. Question number five. What business was on the ground floor of 11 Old Compton Street when Susan lived there? It was a butcher's. Question six. How many sovereigns did Susan make that last day? Um, she made four sovereigns, which is 80 shillings. Uh, question seven. What job except pimping did Henry say that he did? Uh, he was a glass blower, but that doesn't mean that he's a glass blower because if you, whenever you pull out these uh, uh, crime uh, criminal records of people, they the police always say, "What do you do as a job?" And obviously, the police don't really check it; they just ask them what their job is. And everyone always goes, "Oh, I'm a waiter. I'm a kitchen porter," as we always see. But it's, it's not. It's like you wouldn't say. I'm a gangster. I'm a gangster, isn't I? I'm a gangster. I do like killing and things. Oh, because I'm a bad man, isn't it? Unless you're a massive twat. And unfortunately, there are some twats out there. So he probably said glass decorator. It could have been something that he did. It could have been something that his family did. But he might not have done it at all. Question eight. What drink was Henry drinking in the pub? Uh, It was porter. Uh, Lovely, lovely porter. Uh, And probably... It may have come from the Horseshoe Brewery, which we dealt with with the beer flood. There you go. What goes around comes around. Question number nine. On what street did her mother later live? It was Chapel Place, uh, which is just to the western side of the John Lewis store at the moment, where, in the Daily Inch, the the no-legged flute player was uh, playing his instrument. And question number 10. What pub did Henry enjoy a lovely meal and a boxing match at? You could do either or or both. It was either the Union, the Union Tavern or the uh, Black Horse. So there you go. 
There you go. Oh, hope you enjoyed that. Oh, there we go. I'm just looking at um, the wave motions on my editor of, of me yawning. Yeah, that's the loudest noise I've made. So there we go. Um, so that's me done. Oh, going to go to Costa Coffee now. Going to try and get my seat. Going to sit there, do some editing. Uh, struggle through it because Audacity, the editing software that I use, have done a, a reboot and they've cocked it up and it is really annoying. Fix the bloody software, Audacity. Bastards. Um, so that's me done. Have yourself a good week, folks. We're back next week with another one-parter. Stay safe, be good. Lots of love. Bye. No, bye. Go, 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 go. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.